Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, please welcome in Ryan Dewey, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Plunge. And Ryan's last name is spelled D-U-E-Y, and you could check him out at plunge.com, or he spends a lot of time on the socials, especially on LinkedIn. Just search under his name, Ryan Dewey. And we had quite the wide-ranging conversation, you know, starting with the jungles of the Amazon all the way to how he met his co-founder, Mike Garrett, and the navigation that happens of starting a business, getting on Shark Tank, and all the things that they've been able to accomplish at Plunge over the last couple of years. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Ryan. And without further ado, please welcome in Ryan Dewey. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you, man. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I've uh, been following your journey for a little bit. Obviously, we'll, we'll get into maybe Shark Tank a little bit uh, later on in the, in the conversation. I thought it'd be fun to start, uh, you know, kind of looking back in your journey and all this stuff, even with your co-founder, Michael. You all might be the first two co-founders that have experienced jungle life at some point. <laughs> it seems like you both have been in the jungles. I don't know what it is. So, Tell me about your trip to the jungle and what were you looking for? Why did, why did you go there? Yeah, I'm assuming you're speaking of the time went down to the Amazon. Um, yes. Yeah, let's start yeah, there. So been down a few times, but the first time I went down, uh, I was going to work with ayahuasca. It was, you know, ayahuasca is a um, plant, psychedelic, that is out of the really found itself out of the Amazon. It's been used by different tribes down there. Um, so what I was going down for, I mean, it, it was really a curiosity. Um, I was always very fascinated with uh, the stories of people that had gone down there to work with it and utilize it. And, um, you know, I had a very serious accident in another jungle out in Thailand. Um, and that accident kind of accelerated my life and just my my desire to go, you know, do all the things that I really, really wanted to do. And that was the the biggest one was go down to the Amazon and uh, drink ayahuasca. And so I was going down really with the big question of like, who am I and what is spirituality to me? And those were like the big leading questions that I, I entered in with um, and just had a radically, uh, you know, life impacting, transformative experience down there. Mm. Well, and you mentioned the the accident in Thailand, and if I remember, this was kind of like a near death. Like you, it could have easily been, you know, the last time you were on this earth, right? I mean, it was hundred percent. Very, very grateful, thankful, lucky to you know come out pretty unscathed on the other side. I mean, it was in the hospital for about three weeks out there, um, and during that time, it was you know I my, my the big injury was my jaw shattered my jaw. They had to do some reconstructing surgery on that, but I was in the hospital for three weeks, um, no eating or drinking, just on an IV. So it gives you a lot of time to reflect and think, and, mm-hmm. you know, where's my life at? Where do I want to go with my life? What's interesting to me, all the things. Um, and that was uh, a lot came up during those three weeks, but it was a total, another one of those moments that uh, huge gift in my life. Mm. When you, when you kind of were sitting in the hospital bed, like, were you happy at that time where your life was or were, were you kind I of? I was. Yeah, man, I, I was. Life was good. Um, you know, had really healthy relationships in my life, was in a career that mattered to me, um, felt like 
everything was in like a very positive direction and just kind of get this accelerated look into, okay, like things are good, but what is great? Um, where are the areas that, man, you really, I really felt like this could have, I could have not woken up today, you know, like this could have been over. Um, and then that was really the question into, okay, what, as soon as you get out of here, what are you going to go put your energy and in, in all your effort into? Um, and it started with more of a look holistically at who I am, um, from like a, you know, a spiritual, a spiritual side. Um, so that was, that was the start of it. And then a lot got, you know, untangled from there. And that, that was the start to me, you know, opening my first business and, um, you know, a few different life choices that came from there. Mm. Well, so you said you went down the Amazon to ask the question, like, who am I? Who are you then? Who do, what was uncovered? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, there's a lot of depth to that question. Um, you know, and that's, that's still an unfolding. There, there's, there, that's, that's a never ending uh, rabbit hole. It was more of um, just a piece of who I am. Uh, like when I say peace, like a, like, um, like a calmness, like a, um, you know, I think I wanted to see, I grew up in like a Christian, pretty conservative household. So I kind of had this like identity to myself throughout life and, um, which was genuine and authentic and equally it like never felt like it was kind of my choice. Um, and so it was a bit of like looking into that of like, okay, is this, what does this mean to me? What is, what, what, what was my childhood that was kind of like, um, you know, instilled into me and what was like genuinely authentic to me. And I think it was kind of getting into those deep, that can be a lot of like subconscious dynamics that, that came out of it. And so that was like the start of, um, you know, really kind of looking at who I was and it really comes down to like, it genuinely, like to me, it was like parental dynamics. Like I really dove deep of like who I am as like a son and who my mom is to me and who my father is to me. Um, and those were, you know, things that I think we all, they're core to being human. We all have a mom, we all have a dad, what those dynamics are shape who we are and really understanding what that was to me. And so that was, you know, um, I thought it would be different. I thought it could be even more of like some, this, you know, the creator of the universe and what all that is. And, you know, maybe I tasted some of that, but it was really down to like, who am I like from really my parents, my mom and my dad. Um, and that was, uh, just a, such a beautiful time to kind of, uh, recognize and really at the core of like, understand their love for me and what they ingrained in me. Mm. Well, and I, I think a lot of us go through this. I know me personally as well. Like you mentioned something in there at the beginning around, oh, and almost it sounded, tell me if I heard this right. Like it sounded like you didn't feel like you had control over your life early on. Like decisions were made for you. And this maybe was the time you were starting to make more decisions for yourself. Did I hear that properly or? Yeah. And, I, and to be frank, I don't, I don't think it's like unique to me. I think that's just part of being a that's who we are. We're grown up. We grow up in our world. That is our world. There's nothing outside of that. It's our social dynamic. Um, and that's very normal, I think, for us to, you know, where we grew up matters and how we grow up and what, you know. So I think for me, it was unfolding that into, okay, what have I carried with me that like I truly want to carry forward? 
that is like a core piece to my identity that I am choosing as my identity. And what is, um, what is just kind of through momentum been a part of me. And so that was, uh, I think getting into those kind of like angles of myself. Um, yeah, I think being able to, and we cannot, it's, it's hard. Like for me, psychedelics is a beautiful space because they allow new perspective at times that it's almost impossible to gain that perspective. Mm. Um, you know, seeing, seeing parts of myself that maybe just haven't, you know, day-to-day -day life, I'm not going to be able to see, I'm not going to be able to really grasp. Um, and so getting that new angle of perspective and being like, okay, what do I want to do with this? Is this, oh, cool. It's a cool way to see it. Maybe it is a part of my identity. It's like, no, I want to hold to that. That is important to me. That's who I want to be. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, growing up, I, I, I think my parents did a really good job for allowing me to kind of choose a lot of like the simple things, like what sports did I want to play? Like, you know, my friend groups, things like that, like things I wanted to do on my own passions that was there, but then there's equally like, you know, I grew up from my parents, their own dynamics from their parents coming down. And what, what are the, just the community I'm raised in that are pretty similar socioethnic backgrounds and mm -hmm. you know there's a there's a certain style of living that comes from every kind of core demo that we come from um and they're you know recognizing that that's all sometimes just we all kind of take it for granted and it just gets passed down and being able to kind of discern and choose um you know areas of that 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 i want to carry forward and areas that i oh i want to make a shift and maybe that's a maybe that's a pattern or a belief that uh I actually don't want yeah um and i do want to make a change there yeah yeah you make and that whole nature versus nurture argument and the kind of same thing i mean it's and it seems like men a lot like it's that late 20s early 30s we kind of go through this like i don't know what it is we're like you know for me it was there was a lot of things but it was really the birth of my child was like mm -hmm. that really was the change of like holy shit like what am what kind of life is this kid gonna live like am i gonna be a better father than my father or my grandparent, like, how do I improve? So I don't know. I think a lot of folks go through that, like, and, and obviously the ayahuasca, it seems like everyone I've talked to that have done that, and it's been a handful of people have all had these like life altering experiences with it, which is, which is really interesting. Um, it has the capability for sure. How did, can I just add, this is a side rail. I'm not asking you if to be an expert here on this, but like, how do you get down to do that? Is this like a, like, you know, is there, uh, there's some back alley conversations or is this yeah. like a legit like trip? Like, how do you how do you get down to the Amazon? Yeah. So this was back when I went uh, 2013. So little different infrastructure now, but to be I, I didn't know anyone that had done it. I just knew I wanted to go. I know there were like ways you could participate in the U.S. here. I just didn't quite, I wasn't connected to anyone to be able to do that, but I wanted to go to the Amazon. I wanted to go experience this in like the Shipibu lineage, which is one of the core tribes down there. Um, and I wanted to be in the Amazon. Um, and so I it started with Google. I just Googled it, mm -hmm. you know, it was like typed in ayahuasca, the Amazon, how to go, like, I don't know, where to drink ayahuasca, <laughs> right. in the Amazon, I don't know, something like that. And then places start popping up and the place that I found was uh, that I ended up going to, I've been back twice. It's called Temple of the Way of the Light. And so I just started to look into it. You know, you start to see reviews on different like kind of forums. 
And overall, I just trusted it. I was, uh, I was like, this feels right. This feels like a place that is, uh, you know, it's done, it has the proper intention. It's very safe. They very vetted, very vetted facility. What was unique was at that time, there was no way to actually like, there was no payment processing to actually send them the money directly. And so I had to go to the bank and do this like special wire to this unique, to the bank down in Peru. And I remember I was going, like it had already been said, I decided on that was the place I was going and I had to go put my initial deposit down. And what was interesting was when I was in Thailand from the accident, my insurance pretty much covered everything, thankfully. Worked out really, really well. However, there was some amount that I had to pay out of my own pocket. And I didn't quite know what I would be reimbursed for that. So I had to pay it to get out of the hospital. I paid the money. I come back. This is probably three months after that now. So it's just, but I'm going to the bank the next day to wire this money over. Well, the night before, I get a check in the mail and it's literally with less than $100 difference for what my deposit amount to go down to the jungle is to what my reimbursement was uh, from the insurance. Wow. So I literally went to the bank. I gave them this insurance check and said, hey, I'd like to cash this in. And can you send that exact amount down to the Amazon? And it was one of those synchronicities of life where it was just like, you know, just stopped in my tracks of like, okay, you're on the exact path of where you need to be going. Um, just kind of the universe sending that great little reminder, like, cool, you're good. Here, I'm going to pay for that for you. Um, so that was a cool, cool experience. So how to go do it at the time, it was a very unique process to, to pay down there. I remember becoming friends with the bank teller because I had to go back a couple times <laughs> to pay money. And he was so fascinated. Like, where are you going? What's this bank in Peru? And yeah. anyways, it was, uh, um, now at this time, I think you can pay direct and you can pay online if you want to go yeah. down to the jump. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Um, I don't know how there's a, a direct line here, but we're just going to take a big jump to the left uh, <laughs> randomly. All right. Tell me about the, because you and Michael Gear have been friends for a little while before Plunge started, but tell me about the first conversation he ever had with you about this idea. About Plunge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember. So I had, we both owned our float, uh, float spots. So we brick and mortar businesses prior that we were not business partners in, but we both owned very, you know, very niche style businesses that that's kind of how we become friends and business confidants through that. I had ended up moving into an RV during COVID because I sold all my stuff. We had to, the businesses closed up. So it was kind of this moment of recon, you know, reconciling everything. Moved into an RV. Why I bring that up is I was going, I would go stay in these up in the Sierra Nevadas. I would go camp out there in the RV and work from work from there. And Mike would drive up and come hang out with me during the weeks. And we would just kind of work on the, the float spas from there. And it was a chance for us to hang out. Well, I remember we were on a walk. We'd go on these hikes. And that's when he started basically presenting this idea of like, I think there's a huge opportunity in cold plunging. Um, you know, we were about two months into the pandemic, maybe three, three months in. He started, he had been 3D prototyping the units at home, sourcing some stuff, starting to build it out of his garage, like the original model. And he was just like, there's, this is a market that I fully believe in. He saw it before I did. 
it was a passion of mine, but I didn't really look at it from like a huge business opportunity. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't even looking at it that way. And he was just adamant that like, there's an opportunity here. Um, and so that was the first combo. And then he started to plant the seed of like, Hey, do we want to do this together? I was non-committal. And then he did kind of bring me over to his house, show me the product said, Hey, let's be business partners. And I actually said no the first time. Um, and I just, from a mixture of stuff, it was kind of my own life situation. Like I said, living in an RV, a lot of life turned upside down, trying to get the other businesses back open from the pandemic and and the unit that he was presenting to me was still very prototypey. It was very, yeah. uh, it, I didn't quite have the vision to be like, yep, I can see where this is going. This could be a product that we can really take to market. Where he was, he had, he knew this wasn't the final model. I'm going to reiterate this. There's a long ways for this to go, but I want to show you where we can go. Anyways, I came back six weeks later and that's when I saw a massive improvement in what he was creating. And that's when I was like, let's do this. I'm, I'm in, um, let's, let's launch this, this company together. Between those, the, the, we'll call it day zero when you first saw it and six weeks, how often did you think about the business, like laying in bed at night? Like, huh, I wonder, like, did you have a lot of those or was it kind of just, you put it away and then until six weeks went by? I think I, I had a couple thoughts. I think deep down from like, Deep down, I was like, I'm going to do this. But I wasn't actually that. Uh, I didn't really have sleepless nights thinking about it. Um, I just kind of trusted like when the when it's time to say yes, it will be time to say yes. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was. Uh, but at the core, I think I knew like, oh, we're going to do something here. There's going to be a, there's going to be something. But it was seeing the product go from, you know, the first one he showed me had like aluminum foil wrapped around something. And it was like a, you know, a <laughs> right. true Frankenstein, right. like, you know, I don't even know if I'd really put that at my house. And then, and to be fair to him, he was not thinking I needed to present the final model to you, but my, I'm not the engineer guy. I'm not really, I'm not the product guy, but to see it six weeks later, he had really cleaned it up. And I was like, Oh, I could, I would be, thrilled to sell that to my friend right now they would be stoked to put this in their house um and being able to grasp that and know that this isn't even the final product um made me finally believe and taste that where this could go was he just like doing this himself in his garage or did he have some manufacturing plant that he was sort of working with on the prototype like because obviously it's a it's a well-built beautiful product like it didn't seem like something you could build in your garage but maybe you can i guess yeah, I mean his dad. His dad. He went down to Arizona and worked with his dad on a couple things. Um, but no, he was. This was all him on his own. Um, you know, three D modeling. You know, working with a lot of different people through Alibaba. Um, this was before even Alibaba had existed with some of the new white labeling products that were out. There was no real cold plunge market whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a cold plunge market. Um, so he, yeah, he was on there just connecting with different individuals, looking at individual parts, um, sourced everything on his own. Like, you know, funny couple stories, like the original, the white tub that's kind of become, we're known for, um, you know, he Googled that tub, like freestanding tub. And the biggest distributor was 15 minutes from our houses in Sacramento mm -hmm. um, that we were able to, which we're still a huge partner of and become one of their biggest clients in the country. And 
we would drive, he was able to drive over in his van and they would just give him like old tubs to start and just be like, take it. Like you could wow. use this. And so we were able, it was incredible for us because we were able to, when we sold our first 20, because we emailed, when we decided to do it, we emailed our businesses and said, Hey, we're going to sell 20 of these. We emailed the float spots. We were able to drive over, drive over and just pick up one at a time. And we would just give them cash, drive home, build the tub out, go give it to the customer. So it was incredible for us, like starting out, like to build this business out of the garage where we had no space. Uh, we weren't putting a ton of cash into this. Uh, we were just kind of building as we go. Um, but that was a huge win. One of our original Alibaba partners that he had found on there, it was like a company that has, uh, you know, did our, they did ozone. They were an ozone manufacturer and we needed ozone on the unit. Well, they ended up becoming our biggest sourcing agent, the individual that owned that company and has since become our one of our biggest partners in China. And, you know, it's not a joint venture, but it's damn near close yeah. where it's a factory that's specifically been opened up and developed just for plunge. And that was like met on Alibaba through just like a email correspondence. And now it is completely, you know, our team's out there every month working with them. It's like a true partnership, um, you know, that started with a guy that just said, I have some ozone. And now he's, you know, taken his whole company and family and created this huge factory to work directly with Plunge. Wow. Um, so really cool stories. So did the first sales then went to the businesses? It wasn't individual owners, like individual, you know, whatever consumers? No, it was. So we, we emailed from those email lists of that other business. Oh, I see. Okay. We emailed gotcha. them and just said, Hey, this is what we've been working on. We're going to sell. If you want to buy one, here's a link to buy it. Yeah. And Mike and I agreed at the beginning. They're like, before we made any like kind of grandiose strategy or plan, we're like, let's build before we really like launch this. Let's at least sell 20 of these and build them our set. Like we're building them hands-on. We're not hiring anyone. We'll build them. We'll hand deliver them. We'll engage exactly with every customer. And that was our plan to just understand the product, understand where its vulnerabilities were, how to improve it. Um, and so that all of our, our early customers, it might have even been less than 20 because we ended up turning the website on um, once we had a few sales. And then, you know, we had some real big SEO wins early on where we started to rank really high from organic search terms. So we started to get some customers uh, just through, you know, Google searches at that point. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great lesson for anyone, just kind of that idea of building yourself. Because then when you, I'm assuming when you went into the manufacturing process at scale, you knew everything that was involved, right? You knew, we knew that, the product. Yeah. We, knew, we knew every part. We knew how to build it. Um, it's been, you know, we've brought in some much more experienced people in manufacturing and production backgrounds that have helped scale us out. We've never built assembly lines sure, and sure. like true processes there, but our, you know, the people we've hired have, have really helped with that. But yeah, it's, it's been a benefit in the sense that like every role that's in the company, Mike and I have done it. Um, and I, you know, we do it 10 times better than when Mike and I used to do it, yeah. but we can relate to literally every role, like whether it's a sourcing agent, whether it's a, you know, of marketing, whether it's the sales role, uh, support role, uh, builder, like we, we did it. I was there. I, I was, you know, so I think that's been, um, 
it goes a long way with the connection to our, our staff and our team and then understanding their pain points. Yeah. Well, let me ask, um, God, there's so many areas to go here. Um, I, I got to ask about Shark Tank just because I'm big fan. I've been, you know, been watching it for yeah. whatever, 10 years, but I'm kind of curious the the nuance of like the actual, like the first step or two of getting, do you put an application in? Like how, how did you get chosen and like, Hey, this is when you're going to go. Like what were the, what were the first couple steps of that process? They actually emailed us and asked if we'd be interested in oh. applying, uh, which was a no brainer. It wasn't on our radar. We weren't thinking at all of going on Shark Tank. Um, they emailed us. I remember we had our first meeting with them like end of July, 2021. And then it was like, we were on the show September 15th of like six, seven weeks later. So it was like a very quick process for us. Um, so yeah, they emailed us, we had a call. They said, Hey, would you like to apply? We would love, you know, nothing guaranteed here. You still got to go through this whole application process and interviews and everything. Um, but obviously they were intrigued and by the business. And so that was the start of it. And then it was just a lot of there. Nothing's like ever guaranteed on that show in the sense of even like every step of the way, they're not, they always are kind of dangling a carrot in front of you okay. to get you to do the next step, whether that's just like through the interview process, or if you bomb your, you have to kind of script out your, you know, the first two minutes where you're like, I'm Ryan from Sacramento. And you kind of script that out. They want to make sure you don't bomb that in front of people. Cause they could always say, Hey, you're not coming on. Right. Um, so they, they keep the pressure on you. And then even once you air, there's this whole dangling of a carrot of, you know, you might, or not even once you air, but once you film, they aren't guaranteeing you're ever going to air. So there's this whole process of making sure first that you're following through with the shark. If you do do a deal, like how does, are you, are you operating in good faith? Basically they're looking, cause nothing's final. It's basically a handshake agreement when you go on the show. And then the back end is like, you know, it's when diligence happens and they want to make sure that everyone's operating in good faith. Um, so they're always, you never, we didn't know until two weeks before our air date that we were even going to air. Uh, and that was May, like end of May or beginning of May of 22. So you're kind of present, preparing the business for this potential huge moment, mm. um, you know, getting support staff, getting all the things that you would need but they told us two weeks before, Hey, here's your air date. Get ready. Um, wait, so you initially so, were September ish. Yep. So it was like eight months. Is that right? Eight months yep. later when that, when it aired. Yep. Eight months. So all the numbers that were on the show, it's unique. And they always cut dates out. If you'll notice, like they never let anyone say May or June or oh, like sense. they kind of even the current year because it could be another, the next year. So they only like say the big numbers. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Like the numbers we gave were for basically eight months prior, as opposed to, you know, when it currently airs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had a good feeling. They Our teaser was like one of their main promos for the year. It was Robert, like actually, uh, you know, I think it was him getting in the water potentially they had shown. So we felt like, okay, there's, they got to air us if they're going to tease this out. Yeah. But there's still this like unknown of what's going to, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to air us or if a shark has a frustrating experience with us, they could potentially go to the show and say, don't, you know, yeah. there's all these unique behind the scenes kind of leverage points. Well, there's so many, you know, obviously there's so many different products that come on there, but I think the opportunity, like the fact that, because I'm, I'm at, what I was going to ask you is like, 
was that easy to get one of the sharks to say yes to get in there? Do you know the yeah, process? Yes. That was, I think they had like, obviously the show's entertainment. They're looking for cool products and things for the sharks to engage right. with. So our pitch, when they had us on, we were like, yeah, we, you know, we could get in. Well, you know, it was going to be Mike and I doing the plunge. And then they were like, well, what if, you know, one of the sharks get in? And we were like, hell yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so that was the only pre-scripted thing to the show was obviously our first two to three minute pitch that, you know, you say who we are and kind of the canned, you know, walkout pitch that happens. And then Robert knew he was going to be getting, I don't know to what extent he knew. I think he knew that he was getting into a bathing suit. Okay. <laughs> um, and that okay. was kind of the outside of that. That was quite was, a surprise then. That, hey, you're getting into a 55 degree. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he knew that he was going to, I don't know. I don't, we actually didn't know that part. It was just known that Robert would be ready to get into the cold plunge. Okay. Uh, so how they told him that's uh, still unknown. Mm. Well, how did you, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, cause this obviously happens a lot is people get beat up for their valuation. So obviously, Mr. Wonderful. Now they cut a lot of this. So I'm sure that it obviously it was a lot longer, but you went in 1.2 for 5%. How did you yep. come to that valuation? Like what were those conversations like to to present that? Yeah, taking ourselves back to that time. I mean, I'm trying to think what our what our I think we had just done over a million a month. Maybe we were up to like 1.5 in rev per month. Um so our growth curve was insane. It was kind of hard to gauge. Like we, I mean, we were only in business for a year. We were profitable, but we were running at profitable because we were just so lean. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, it was like this fast growth. So I think we were looking at like fast growth companies that were in kind of our sphere of, you know, whether it's health and wellness, jacuzzi type products, sauna products, like things like in that category. Um, and I think we were, what was our end up? We were looking at a, we were looking more at a multiple of rev, I think was what we came to. Mm -hmm. And originally it was like a 20, I think that what, what was, you said it was 1.2 for 5%. Yeah. So I think was, 24 million valuation. Yeah. I remember we were at like 20 million was kind of the number and for the valuation. So you have to pre send that into Shark Tank mm -hmm. and kind of say, Hey, this is our value. You, we can come up with whatever we want. The rules of the game are, so just level set and how it works. The dollar amount that's asked for is the only requisite that has to be hit. So they cannot. So we said 5% for 1.2 million. Basically at that point, we had to walk out of there with taking at least $1.2 million. The equity is the number that can, that's the game. That's, that's where the sharks are going to you know, they're going to try and go for 15% mm -hmm. or, um, but we couldn't leave with less than 1.2. So anyone watching, when you're watching, whatever that number is that the, the contestants ask for, you can't go less than that. Um, and so we came to that number. Obviously we knew the valuation, we would adjust it. You know, that's going to start at 5%. They're going to, they're going to beat us up. What's our middle ground? Uh, but in that, that morning we're out to breakfast. I think we had done like our record day that day before. So we're feeling really good about the business. And Mike and I are like, I think our valuation's low. Like, so we ended up changing it that morning, which they said, you can change it up to the last minute, but you have to tell them. 
So we're literally getting our makeup done, about to go on in about five minutes. Or it's the final, they already did our makeup, they do it again, it's right. all this stuff. We told our, you have the, your managers basically that handle certain of the businesses. And we told them, hey, we're changing the valuation. This is about five minutes before we go out. And we already had like a super high valuation to go on in Shark Tank. So our, I remember our, our person was like, okay, right? Like, this is crazy. You guys have one of the highest valuations for a company to go on. They're like, the sharks are going to razz you. So they were very, he was very clear of like, Ryan, once you say the number, shut up for 10 seconds because they're just going to throw all the insults at you. So it was like a very big behind the scenes. Like I remember he almost had this meltdown of like, I can't believe you guys are raising this valuation. And we were like, dude, I think that's low, which in hindsight, looking back are like, it was an incredible valuation of anyone that would have invested at that number at that time. Like we have since exponentially grown the company off that valuation. So, um, but yeah, we did the valuation and then yeah, the, the deal ended. We ended up doing the deal with Robert for, I believe it was 12% uh, for 1.2 million in uh, like cash for equity and then 1.2 million line of credit. Yeah. How did that, so how did that work with Robert after the fact? How did that process go? So we ended up not doing the deal. Um, the deal didn't go through on the back end, and yeah, it was kind of, we actually didn't hear from his team for a little while, which was surprising. Um, and kind of go back and forth, start sending the financials over at this point, we had, you know, like I said, there was a bit of a gap from when we, and every shark handles it differently into like their teams that are either on site or and working with you right immediately after. Um, so, you know, not all each one has their own team and how they handle this. We didn't hear from them. We were kind of following up what's going on here. Well, we ended up just, you know, turning the focus on the business. Um, business was growing like crazy, you know, day after day, solving new problems and challenges. So we were focused and then they kind of, the diligence period started and to be honest, it just kind of petered out um, and ended in a fine spot between the or us and, and his team, but uh, didn't do the deal. And, uh, to this day, still haven't taken on any any funding or any money oh, from anyone. That's pretty incredible. From conversation in the garage to uh, you know where y'all are at today. I mean, it's, it's really fast. It was three years, right? I mean, pretty much. Yeah, just over. Very fast, man. It's been dog years for us, and uh, you know, one year, you know, it's it's probably three to four of I think what can transpire in a current. Yeah. You know, the, the time is starting to slow down a bit, like as we're hitting. Um, you know, we, we just experienced every, you know, the first few years, just exponential growth. Um, so things have moved really, really quick within the org so far. I know this is always hard to do, but if you were to squeeze out one to two major lessons that have been learned the last few years, someone again, whether it's a product business or just in general, they're trying to start a business, like what might you share with them to just to, to look out around the, the corner, you know, for. Yeah, I think, you know, every business is so different and there's always unique circumstances to each, each case. For us, I look back at, we probably, we did hire slower than what we should have. Um, you know, I think we were pinching ourselves the whole time of like, is this, is this sustaining? Is this, are we caught in some moment that we just, 
and it was just growing and we were always behind into hiring the talent that we needed, um, especially for that first, within those first two years. So, you know, and that, again, that's not a blanket statement because every business is different. Each person needs to evaluate the company of where things are at. But for us in this high growth kind of white space type business, like I would say recognize very quickly if you've entered into that and like, you know, get ahead of it. Um, and that's been, you know, if I look back for us, if I go back in a time machine for myself and just be able to see some writing on the wall and be like, make the hires you're already talking about hiring. Um, cause by the time we were discussing them, like, should we make this hire? The hire should have already been made, mm -hmm. let alone now we got to go through the process to finding the person, recruiting the person, getting the person in place. We were already behind. Yeah. Um, that's the big one I take away. Um, and would you say if I just, uh, just to finish up that thought, if you don't mind, would you say that one of the reasons though, is if you make it too late, now sometimes you're rushing and cutting corners, maybe you don't get the best person potentially because you're trying to make that decision too quick. I mean, I could see that also happening if you don't give yourself enough time. Would, would you agree with that or? Yeah. For us, that didn't quite, that I would say less than, less than often that was an issue. Um, what I would say kind of within that is like, it was tough to project. So it was like a, a bit of fear into hiring. We didn't want to, you know, kind of context for us is like, we come from brick and mortar businesses that's like you got to be profitable there's no like spending for growth you know it's like yeah you want to grow the business but it's very incremental you're hiring your staff it's dollar in dollar out you're walk you know it's a very tight business um so that's kind of our background which is very different than a product did online business you know where you can actually go have losses but you're potentially growing the company um so that was kind of our you know our learning that we had to go through. However, what to your point, there were times that we were looking at the hire and it's like, okay, we need to hire this, but we weren't thinking big enough into really looking at, okay, where is this like just even three to six months from now? If this is growing on this trend, this role, it needs to be totally expanded. This isn't a manager. We actually need to be hiring a VP here. Um, and so I think that was, we went through that with our production team. You know, I think when we started, we wanted a production, we wanted a, like a warehouse manager was what we were kind of looking for. We hired this individual. It, was, it wasn't a great hire. He, we moved on from him um, for a number of reasons, but it was very clear of like, oh, we need like a very high level person. That's not just managing a warehouse, but it's like thinking very big into like production and manufacturing and not just us building 40 of these units a month. Like we need to be getting ready. I remember our first VP, who's now our VP of production. You know, he was saying numbers of like, we need to get to the spot we're building thousand, a thousand a month, which to me was the craziest number. I couldn't even like, what? I don't, how do you get to a thousand? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't even like, it was such a big number. I think at that time we were maybe building 60 to 70. So he was truly wow. 10, 10 X thinking, which is, that's the hires you want to be hat bringing in that are truly bringing 10x potential into the business. And so I think for us, that was a, 
there was a bit of learning curve there. We, we can naturally think big, but at some points, like, especially in areas that I've never experienced before, getting my mind to really project out size and scale into where, where we, where we were going and match that. Yeah. Well, I think that's always the relevance of having someone to like, we always have these that we don't see the peripherals sometimes, right? We get blocked out. So having other people that could lend to that and share ideas 100%. outside of, you know, what we're, we're used to is, is interesting um, and needed, I think is for the most part. Um, what else would you share? Any other, you had another lesson there you're thinking about, but um, man, I've had a lot of lessons. <laughs> um, what about, I'll, I'll kind of maybe help here with a, with a thought. Like what about going from, you start with one product basically how do you start thinking about, because, you know, we get the whole thing. We don't just want to be a one product business. You got to have all these ancillary things. And, and I know I saw now y'all are doing a sauna. Things looks amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That looks so cool. Um, it's like, how do you start thinking about the growth down the road with other products and, and how to scale the business so you can hit multiple markets? Yeah. I mean, the sauna was a, a use case that was really from our customers at, you know, we're selling the cold plunges. We're getting a, a large amount of in, influx of, hey, who do you recommend for a sauna? And will you guys ever build one? So it caught our attention. Okay. This let's let's survey our customer base. We had a substantial amount of return people responding to it, asking like we had a question on, you know, sauna questions, and 40% were basically in the market to buy a sauna right now. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, oh, cool. We already, we're developing this customer base that wants to buy this product at the same exact time. So that led us on a journey to develop a sauna. So I think it's, it's twofold. It's like we, for us, what our kind of guiding lights here is, does the product help develop resilience? That's a North star within our company. Like we want products that develop resilience. Um, and does Mike and I authentically and genuinely use this product? Um, like we are customers first. We are, you know, a founder forward company. We're in a lot of the content. I'm not going to start selling a product that I don't understand. I will, you know, mm-hmm. before we sell it, I will make sure that first I utilize this. I understand this. I understand the upside to it, the benefits, um, you know, how to incorporate it in your life. Like, that has to be authentic to me. And it's just not that interesting for me to peddle something that I don't really know anything about. Um, so those two things matching were, you know, have kind of been how we, how we go about developing products. And then, you know, Mike is head of the product roadmap. So, it, you know, we start with those two categories and then it gets into Mike's creativity of like, okay, what, what's exciting to me? What's interesting to me? What's out there that we can, that we just don't want to do what's already out there. We want to go ahead and then like, how do we move the needle into what we launch? Um, and so like for the sauna, there was, you know, we, we did a, we start looking into all the different sauna companies and it's like, who's doing it great. What are still areas and pain points that's there for the customer? You know, and for us, we looked at it. It was like, there's a clear design design is like a core feature for us. Um, you know, in the aesthetic, like we want it to be both men and women love the design that it doesn't just lean one way or the other. Um, we wanted a, a sauna. We always thought like, man, how cool would it be if it was ergonomic and it was actually comfortable when you're in the sauna? So we want to do it at this tilt of an angle that was actually, when you lean back, you're comfortable in this highly uncomfortable environment. 
We wanted a high heat sauna. We wanted it to be multi-use into that. You could work out in it. So we, we kind of look at our core values as like what's important for us. And then we start to develop this product around it. So um, it's kind of a long answer of, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of different angles that we go about yeah. launching a new product. No, I love the idea of the customer first. I think that's, that's the way you also get in the, the deep throws of like how this is going to be in someone's house or how, you know, how are they going to play around with it in their life? So, um, Brian, it's been a lot of fun. Okay. Last question here. So I've done cold showers. Yep. I've never done a cold plunge. So convince me on doing a cold plunge. Give me the benefits science backed or just the general, uh, fun benefits of this. Yeah. I'll leave the science to, uh, the people that, you know, Dr. Andrew Huberman, Dr. Susanna Soyberg, check all them out. I would say the greatest proposition to cold plunging, it is the ultimate ROI on your time for the return on your mental health. All you have to do is give two minutes and to go from the feeling that you enter into to the feeling that you come out at, it works every single time and you will come out with a completely different mindset that you went in and it's only two minutes that you have to give up. You don't have to go move your body. All you got to do is get in there and breathe and it works like a charm. Um, and there's just, for me, it's the greatest tool on my energy and mood that I consistently work in my life. What, uh, what time of day do you do your cold plunge? What temp do you have it at? I do it first thing in the morning. Okay. Um, and right now my plunge is set to 48 degrees. That seems cold. <laughs> it's perfect. Okay. I mean, it's, even that it's like, you know, 55 degrees starting out. It's that's cold. And it, it doesn't have to be to the point that it like, actually it shouldn't be to the temp that it like scars you. Yeah. It just wants to be cold enough that it takes your breath away and you'll develop yourself to kind of regulate and calm down into it. And usually Two minutes is plenty of time, and uh, it it works like a charm. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have to try it here very soon. I've, I've been itching for it. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, Ryan. This is a lot of fun, man. I'm, I'm glad to, to connect with you finally and uh, hear your story. And um, any final thoughts, insights for the audience? Any last wishes on them um, as they finish up the episode? No. They, I'll follow along when we post anything. If anyone has any questions, I'll be happy to answer. But uh, hopefully this brought some value to someone listening. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Brian. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.